Okay, my friends, let's have a word of prayer before we go into this. Father, you've called us to walk in your paths. In order for us to do that, we need you to show us your paths. So through this word today, shed the light of your spirit upon the truth of your word. And may this illumine our paths as we go into a new year. Guide us, Father. Because by nature, we tend to walk in our own shadows. Turned away from your light, we walk in our shadow into darkness. Turn us around, O oh God. Turn us towards you and illumine our paths for your namesake. We ask through the one who loved us and gave himself for us, who is risen and at your right hand, even Yeshua, our righteous Messiah. Amen. <clears throat> So here's a thought. In order to have a new year, we need to get rid of old baggage. I would ask you what this means. This is a picture of the great poet T.S. Eliot, who, to the frustration of many of his contemporaries, was a committed Christian. From one of his poems, he says this, last year's words belong to last year's language. And next year's words await another voice. And to make an end is to make a beginning. So what does all of that mean? Well, it's another way of saying, if nothing changes, nothing changes. If we still talk about our lives and talk about other people, the way we did last year. We're going to have a next year, but we're not going to have a new year. Because we need to have new ways of thinking, new ways of speaking, in order to have a truly new year. And to make an end, to make an end of the way we've been doing things, is to make a beginning. And without changing something, nothing changes. So today I want to talk a bit about some things that have to change for me, and I'm sure for you too, and how we deal, especially with people who we have on this little internal list we carry, of those people who have done us wrong. If you don't have such a list, I'll give you mine. So what does it take? have a truly new year. Well, first of all, having a next year is up to God. God determines our days. And so, are we going to have a next year? Well, if God decides so, yes, I will be alive in the next year, and so will you. But having a new year is up to us. If we don't make changes, we will have a next year but we won't really have a new year. We can't have a new year if we keep carrying old baggage. That's something I want you to take very seriously. So let's take some crucial lessons from Yosef. What a turning point 
oh my God. The story of Joseph is full of turning points. He's turned off and he's sent off into slavery. He's sent into prison. He does well in slavery until he's framed by Potiphar's wife. Then he goes to prison. There's one complete change. Then after many years, he's brought out of prison and appointed vice, viceroy of all of Egypt. That's quite a change. Then his brothers come down. That's quite a change. Then after years of dealing with them, he reveals himself to them. That's quite a change. And his relationship with his brothers is totally, completely transformed. So what lessons can we learn from him? Well, first, and these are serious lessons, not just about Joseph, but about me. And I trust about you. First, he completely forgave. When he reveals himself to his brothers, they're dumbstruck. Here the second most powerful man in the world, next to Pharaoh, is the one that they sold into slavery, and they're scared witless. He says, don't be sad that you sold me into slavery here, or angry at yourselves. <laughs> he says, don't be sad or angry at yourselves that you sold me into slavery. Wow. What a comment. He completely forgave them. But there's more. He recognized that the hand of God was in even painful circumstances. He says to them, it was God who sent me ahead of you to preserve life. So he forgives them for these terrible circumstances. And he recognizes that the hand of God was even in his negative circumstances. Years ago, I read a book with an interesting title by a fellow named Mark I. Rosen. The book is called Thank You for Being Such a Pain. And the book is about one thought, which he explores brilliantly. And that is that the people in our lives that bring us pain, we need to see them as though God has allowed them in our lives for us to learn something. That's what happened with Joseph. He just didn't look only at the painful circumstance. He didn't just look at what his brothers did to him, but he recognized the hand of God was there even in painful circumstances. He says, it was God who sent me ahead of you to preserve life. Did he not remember that they had sold him into slavery? Yes, he did. But he didn't focus on that. It was a bigger picture. Because of his dreams, he had a big picture perspective. He had had those dreams when he was a teenager that all of the, uh, all of the sheaves binding in the field would bow down to him, 11 of them. Well, actually, there was 10 of them at that time. It was his brothers. No, Benjamin was already born, 11 of them. And then later, 11 stars and the sun and the moon are bowing down to him. And his father said to him, are you saying that your brothers and your mother and I are going to bow down to you? Well, Joseph had a long time to think about those dreams when he was cooling his heels in prison. And because of his dreams, he had a big picture perspective. He knew that God was up to something much bigger than his, 
his current circumstances. And then when miraculously he gets out of prison, and then when his brothers come and bow down to him, you can be sure he made the connections. But it took years for that to happen. But during those years, he had developed a big picture perspective. Do you have a big picture perspective? Do I have a big picture perspective? Or do we focus only on the way in which we've been misused by certain people? And that's all we can see. I can tell you that if you simply focus on your grievances, you're not going to be a very happy person. You're going to be stuck. You're going to blame it on them. But it's not just their fault. It's your fault for having tunnel vision. It's my fault. Joseph was not that way. He had a big picture perspective. Fourth, this is important. Notice how generous he is. He gives them everything. Going back to Egypt, he speaks out of abundance, not neediness. When you're dealing with the people who have shafted you, if you can... If you, if you come to them with neediness, if your whole relationship with them is that you need, you need, you need their apology, then you're, you're in their power. You're a very needy person. You're coming to them as needy. But if you come out of abundance, if you can say, you know, God has taken care of me and God will continue to take care of me. And, uh, and I can even take care of you. If you come out of abundance, it changes everything. So he has an abundance mentality, not a neediness mentality. Don't focus on your neediness, on a sense that you are somehow uh, lacking or that somehow there's a part of you missing until this other person makes things straight. Don't operate out of neediness. God has given you abundance. Operate out of abundance. He understood who he was dealing with. When he sends them back to Egypt to go get their father, he says, now don't quarrel on the road. He knows his brothers. He knows what they're like. There's a little touch. And when you've been misused by people, and I have two people that... Um, are on my list. Uh, it pays to understand who they are. Um, I'm, now I'm thinking, there's really three people that preoccupy me. And if I will just step back and realize, what's their psychology? What kind of people are they? Then I realize that the way in which they misused me was a function of the kind of persons they are. It wasn't really about me. Yes, I ended up suffering the consequences, but they acted out of their own brokenness. Joseph realizes that with his brothers. He says, don't quarrel on the road. He knows what they're like. When you get misused by somebody, step back and think, what are they like? Recognize they're operating out of their own brokenness. And that will make a big difference. Joseph symbol, uh, sympathized with his brother's brokenness. 
later on after their father dies, the brothers are terrified that now that the old man is gone, Yosef is going to take revenge on them. And they're terrified. And he, when Joseph hears about it, they come to him and they say, look, before he died, our father told, told us that we were supposed to tell you that you were not to take revenge on us. That was a lie. He didn't have, he hadn't said that. But Joseph realized that they were terrified. And if you go to chapter 50 of Genesis and look at what Yosef says to them, he says, don't be afraid. And he comforts them. And he says, I'll take good care of you. So broken people do you wrong. Broken people have done bad things to me. Step back and feel sorry for them. You can even comfort them. It gives you great power in a situation where you're apt to feel powerless. We also have some crucial lessons from Yeshua in our Birchad reading. We read of him healing the man with tara'at, loathsome skin disease. Could have been leprosy. It could have been psoriasis. It could, it was, whatever it was, it was the kind of disease that made the person to be a social pariah, to be considered to be ritually unclean. So he heals him. And he also heals uh, the paralyzed man, lowered in through the roof. In dependence upon the spirit and the father, Yeshua was an agent of healing. I send you forth, my friends, not to be icons of brokenness and woundedness, but to be agents of healing. Henry Nouwen, the great writer, wrote a book about being a wounded healer. Yes, you're wounded. Yes, I am wounded. I've been wounded all my life. But we can be wounded healers. So we should go into this new year with the mindset that we're going to be agents of healing in people's lives. Healing through our prayers. Healing through how we deal with them. Healing through how we forgive those who need our forgiveness. So in dependence upon God, upon the Spirit, upon the Father, Yeshua was an agent of healing. We should be too. And in dependence upon the Spirit and the Father, he was an agent of forgiveness. Now I want to say something about forgiveness. Forgiveness is not saying to somebody, look, don't worry about it. It doesn't make any difference. It does make a difference. You would not need to forgive somebody if they hadn't done you wrong. It makes a difference. What they did was wrong. And making like it never happened is not forgiveness, it's make-believe. And ours is a real God, not a make-believe God. So forgiveness is not saying, let's just forget about it. Let's act like it never happened. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is one simple thing. It is being able to reassure people you're not going to take revenge on them. That's all it is. It is relinquishing the right to revenge. Now, reconciliation 
is a related thing, but it's a separate thing. If someone has misused you in some way, sadly, your relationship with them may never be the same. It can be better than it was before. It can also be broken and never quite fixed. It can't remain the same. But reconciliation is different. Reconciliation is rebuilding the bridge between the two of you. And it takes them and it takes you and it may never happen. It takes trust. So forgiveness is relinquishing the right to revenge. Relinquishing any sense of right to malign them, to speak against their, their reputation. That's forgiveness. But reconciliation is going to take work. So we have a little more to say. Torah tells us this. Do not hate your brother in your heart. You might say to yourself, well, you know, I, uh, I'm not going to hurt him, but I can't stand him. Do not hate your brother in your heart. That's number one. Don't take vengeance or bear a grudge. What's the difference between vengeance and bearing a grudge? Our tradition says uh, somebody, let's say somebody borrows a lawnmower from you and they break it. Then they come back to you some other time and they want to borrow something else. Vengeance is going to say, no, you broke my lawnmower. I'm never going to lend you anything again. That's vengeance. Bearing a grudge is to say, yeah, you broke my lawnmower and you probably wouldn't do this for somebody else, but I'm going to show you that I'm better than that and I'm going to, give, I, I'm going to lend you whatever else they're asking. Bearing a grudge means carrying things over in some way. Vengeance is retaliating. Our, our tradition says, don't take vengeance and don't bear a grudge against any of your people. Rather, love your neighbor as yourself. You don't want people taking vengeance or bearing a grudge against you. Don't you do it either. Don't hate your brother in your heart. So if you're going to have a new year, you and I have to learn this lesson from Leviticus 19, 17, and 18, and we need to take it seriously. Paul tells us in Romans, let us put aside the deeds of darkness, and I would also say the mentality of darkness, and let's put on the armor of light. That's the only way that our next year is going to be a new year. Getting back to T.S. Eliot, last year's words belong to last year's language. Next year's words await another voice. And to make an end is to make a beginning. May God help me. May God help you. May God help us all to make a beginning. Amen.